Hello and a very warm welcome to Bergas Now. As every Friday, it's my great pleasure to welcome you, our dear listeners, as well as a guest. And with us today is our dear friend Callum Pickering, senior economist from the Berenberg Group, as well as Daily Telegraph columnist. Callum, good to have you. Hey there. Hi, good to have Great to be on again. Callum, the last time when you were here on the show a few weeks ago, afterwards we stayed on and we chatted a little bit. And one thing that we discussed was that a recovery after the COVID crisis, although, of course, in some ways we are still in the midst of it, um, that this recovery seems to be quite strong and quite fast, or it is expected to be that at least. And we remarked that it is a bit of a different situation than after the financial crisis, after the Lehman crisis. Um, we talked in this context especially about you know, the point of productivity. Can I ask you, or can we open this discussion today with a very general question? Uh, what is productivity and why is productivity so important? Economists discuss it all the time. I would love to get your particular viewpoint on that. Yep. Productivity is the thing that essentially creates higher living standards in the long run. Um, you know, a human being can only work so many hours a day and, and each of those hours you can only work so hard. So the way to increase our own output is by essentially using machines and tools. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially productivity. So the more and better tools that we have, the more we can create output per hour of our own labor, of our own effort. So when we measure productivity, we measure it in terms of output per hour worked. But what it really reflects is essentially the uh, years of accumulated investment in labor. Uh, and well, to slightly oversimplify it, if you increase the number of machines relative to the size of your population, and let's assume that people actually know how to use the, those machines so they're reasonably well educated, generally as you increase the level of machinery and capital, your productivity, your living standards will increase, your economic output will increase, and that will be reflected in higher profits, higher living standards, higher real wages. Okay, thank you, Callum. So across the advanced world, during the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, that number came up, uh, that productivity has been relatively weak, no? So we, we need to be a little precise. Productivity growth has been weak, but productivity in the advanced world is extremely high. That is the thing that defines the advanced world in many ways. Uh, advanced economies, Switzerland, uh, the UK, Japan, the US, Canada, these are the most uh, capital-intensive economies relative to the labor market. They have the highest rates of, of, of productivity. But the rate of change, so the rate of progress, the rate at which we've been increasing our labor productivity at output per hour has really slowed down over the last, say, 15 years. Um, and, you know, at least in the UK, we frame this as the productivity puzzle because it's a bit of a mystery as to why that's happened. We have some some vague ideas. So let me let me go through those. That'd be great. First, it could be that we have just experienced the, the tail end of one of the waves of productivity growth, which we often see in economies. So everyone knows about the industrial revolutions, the first, the second, the computer mm -hmm. revolution in the 1980s. And typically you see three phases. There's a phase of discovery where we uh, create new technologies, where we innovate. Then there's a second phase, which is diffusion, where those technologies disperse themselves through the economy and we become more productive. And then third, there's the fading, which is where we actually 
don't create as much productivity growth as we upgrade the technologies that have diffused. So a good example of, of this late cycle productivity phenomenon would be the car and electricity. Mm-hmm. When we electrified the economy, that generated huge gains in living standards and productivity. When we introduced automobiles, that introduced huge gains in productivity and raised living standards. But when we combine the automobile with, the, with electricity... Mm. The additional gain to living standards and productivity from combining those technologies is not nearly as high as when we introduced the primary technology in the first place. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, a, there's a reasonable argument to say over the last 15 years, we've just been combining existing technologies rather than adding new ones to the economy. But I'm not quite so sure that grasps the entire thing. Mm-hmm. We think it could be something to do with uh, diffusion, which is anecdotally over the last 15 years, we have seen huge gains in innovation. The frontier of potential productivity for companies has been pushed out enormously. Mm-hmm. We all know the kinds of technologies that Silicon Valley companies use or the best-in-class European manufacturers. We're talking big data, right. uh, re- re- remote working, or in industry, 3D printing, advanced robotics, advanced yeah. supply chain management. But most of the economy has been using relatively primitive technologies versus this frontier. So we haven't had this diffusion. So we've had the discovery, but we haven't had the diffusion. And that's probably a better answer for what's happening than we're at the late end of a productivity cycle and we're yet to innovate and create. Uh, One thing that's worth mentioning here is how we measure productivity. Now, it gets harder to measure productivity the more services-oriented an economy is. So if all you do is farm and produce industrial products, it's very easy to measure productivity because you count the stuff that comes out of the machines, you divide it by your workers, and you can see if your workers are producing more. But when you deal with services, financial services, information services, it's very hard to count the output and then divide it by your labor input. So as economies Mm. become more advanced, they become more services oriented. The challenge of measuring productivity actually gets harder. And hence what happens is if you underestimate your output, then you underestimate your productivity. So it's quite possible that we have been underestimating our productivity. So so measurement here is a key issue. And and we will improve our measurement techniques over time and probably what we'll find is that productivity growth has been a little bit stronger than we, than we, than we had imagined. Uh, the very final point to make on this, and, it, and it's one explanation which is often put forward that I, I'm, 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 I don't find it very convincing. And it's the idea that zombie companies, so those are companies that essentially accumulated too much debt before the financial crisis, mm-hmm. but then were essentially kept alive in a low interest rate environment after the financial crisis, mm-hmm. are hoarding capital. Mm. And because they're hoarding capital, healthy companies don't have access to the machines and hence aren't able to then uh, manage manage output, manage manage production in a more efficient way. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is a good argument. And, and, and there are two reasons for that. First, we're talking about companies investing in new technologies. So if all if, if zombie companies hold old technologies, that's not prohibiting other companies from investing in new technologies. So that's one factor. Mm-hmm. The other factor is that the banking system across the advanced world 
is fairly well capitalized and can issue loans to healthy companies. So you can't really make the argument either that healthy co- that zombie companies are just sucking capital out of a healthy financial system and preventing would-be healthy companies getting access to that capital so that they can invest. So best best explanation is the idea of diffusion. We do have innovation. We could be bringing it through the economy, but for whatever reason over the last 15 years, it's just not been happening as quickly as it did in the past. Well, Callum, would you say then, from your viewpoint, that productivity now is likely to improve? And when, if, if so, why is that? There are, some, there are some good reasons as to why it might improve. Um, first, economic fundamentals are in pretty good shape, at least in the private sector. And, and that is a very different situation to after the financial crisis. So on the household side, household balance sheets are in good shape. Labor markets are strong. Households have lots of excess savings. That's a far cry from after the financial crisis when we suffered a housing market correction and, and, and the household sector was, was severely damaged. Sure. Banking sectors are well capitalized. They can issue credit. Businesses have reasonably healthy balance sheets and they're eager to invest. All the survey data suggests their profit confidence is high and they want to add capital to their labor force. So the, the, the feasibility of taking the risk in order to deepen capital is possible. So that's the first point. Uh, the question is, you know, will that process start or has it already begun? Hmm. And this is where I think in one respect, um, the pandemic has created a unique environment for productivity. So often we, we can say about history that that crises are the mother of innovation. When when we're really challenged by circumstances, we have to find a way to essentially continue life as best we can. And following the pandemic, during lockdowns in services, many companies that had previously essentially run a basic model of workers go five days a week in the office and travel around for meetings, suddenly were forced to adopt all of these frontier technologies such as remote working or big data in order to keep their businesses um, essentially alive. And and now what we have is uh, the services sector using more frontier technologies. We've been imitating those, those Silicon Valley firms, say in financial services, the way they had been working 10 years ago now in finance and law. We're now using those types of practices. Mm-hmm. Um, in heavy industry, supply chains were you know, really disrupted during during the pandemic, much more than, than, than anything we've experienced in modern history. And governments forced many companies to onshore in order to protect supply chains. And if we're going to onshore and remain protect, pr- pr- productive, at least in industry, we need 3D printers, we need advanced robotics, we need advanced uh, production methods. And that's what the evidence is suggesting, that, that firms are eager to actually integrate these technologies. So to the previous question, which was essentially why if we had no productivity growth, we think it was a lack of diffusion. That diffusion has now started. And I think what we should see is it will take some time, but the gap between the productivity leaders and the laggards will close because those laggards during the pandemic actually started to incorporate a lot of those technologies that the frontier firms had been using for for a number of years. Yeah, fascinating, Callum. Thank you for for all those details. Um, Final question really that, that sort of presents itself there in that context is so if productivity does improve, what will be the consequence? Well, there's, there's, you, can, you can split this into two categories. So on the one hand, there are just the, the kind of boring economic effects uh, that I might be interested in, but then there are the real-world practical effects that will affect people and businesses. 
So in economic terms, with higher productivity, we will see um, real interest rates rise. We know that interest rates have been very low. They've been falling over the last two decades. That is partly due to this weak, weak, weakening productivity growth. So if productivity is higher, real interest rates will rise. That will reflect essentially better returns on capital investment. We will see output per hour, and that's individuals working. The amount of economic uh, goods and services they produce will increase at a faster rate so their productivity their measured output per hour will rise mm. and together if we have higher rates of return on capital and higher output per hour of workers we will probably see that real wages so that's wages adjusted for inflation will rise at a faster rate in the future than it did over the last decade so those are the the, the hard economic effects but the practical consequences of that will be essentially threefold first we all feel a bit happier our confidence will improve because essentially our living standards too will be growing at a faster rate yeah. we will see the sorts of gains in productivity that we had been accustomed to in the 80s and the 90s mm. um, and the third effect which is for me perhaps the most important if we have faster gains in living standards and we all feel more confident we'll actually have more belief in in the western economic model and we'll have much less political disenchantment uh, if you Look very closely at Brexit, at the Trump phenomena, at the rising support for far left and far right parties in continental Europe. Uh, the genesis of this is that we have had frustratingly slow gains in living standards mm -hmm. for the last decade. Mm. And when you have weak economic growth and weak gains in living standards, ultimately, um, the fringes of politics and their policies become a bit more attractive to the people that are suffering the most from these slow gains in living standards. So with any luck, if we get back to more normal gains in productivity and faster rates of growth in living standards, uh, the, the, the center of politics, uh, the moderate center, which is what occupied Western economies for, for so long and they were so successful with, maybe we have some hope that actually uh, the the fringes shrink relative to the center and we, we suffer less disenchantment. Fantastic, Callum. That was really insightful and um, a wonderful overview of, of all these different factors. Thank you so much for being our guest today. And we thank you, as always, so very much for listening. It's Friday once more. So there's nothing left for me to say, but have a beautiful weekend and a lovely week until we're back here with Bagras Now next Friday. Bye-bye.